As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It's been a crazy busy couple of weeks, but we are back with another episode of Full Court with Fisher and Kay. I am in a bubble, uh, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but Kara, what is going on with you? Well, it's been going on. We're kind of nearing the end of conference play. I've been certainly busy with that on the road um, for a stretch over these last couple of weeks. Um, we have a ton of stuff to catch up on there and then teams to talk about as we head into March. Jenny, we we're actually just talking though. You got to see a former Spartan um, down in your discreet location where you are. Just have a pretty big play at the end of a game. Cassius is in the G League bubble and so are you. So fill us in. Well, and Kara, I have to mention it because you brought it up. So I saw Cassius walking the other day into uh, the meal room. So we eat in the same meal room as the players. And it was after one of their games and we kind of made eye contact. And I said, hey, I know you don't really know me, but my name's Jenny and you know Kara Kay. And I think she gave you a shirt that says keep showing up. Uh, and that was like in part sort of kind of from me, but mainly from Kara. And he was like, no way. And so was able to connect with one of your Spartans down here. Uh, we love that crossover content that we get to have. But the G League bubble has been nuts. Uh, if you're not paying attention, you're probably not watching ESPN, especially ESPN2. A lot of these games have been on there. A lot of Ignite, a lot of Jalen Green, a lot of Jonathan Kaminga. I think that this has been eye-opening for someone who hasn't paid a ton of attention, a ton of attention to, to the G League until I was sort of thrust in for those who don't know, I'm normally on WNBA. Before this, I was working in college basketball. And so the G League has just kind of been lost in the ether for me up until now. It is high level competitive basketball, guys that are a half step down from the NBA. And I'll say, especially in a COVID year, a lot of guys didn't want to go overseas. They During a global pandemic, why would you want to try and you know do something a little iffy, go overseas, see what happens? A lot of guys are trying to make it here in the US and the G League is probably the best opportunity for them to be able to be a pro learn under the NBA umbrella and especially for those young guys it's been a really cool experience to be a part of to see these 18 year old NBA prospects blossom into the players that they're meant to be I mean the draft is only a couple months away but before we can even talk about the NBA draft we have March Madness coming up even before all of that and to think that it is February 22nd at the time of recording is absolutely insane. Uh, the, mo- the month of February is over in a week, Kara, and then we're going to be rolling right into it. I feel like we've said for a couple of weeks, like, oh, we're nearing the end of February or like we're getting close to March Madness, but like now we like really are getting close to March Madness and you're having games that mean a lot. They mean a lot for you know, who's on the bubble, who's first four in, the number one seeds. We had the show, I believe, last weekend where they came out and said, you know, the top 16 seeds on the men's and women's side, who they'd be right now. And that's probably changed a little bit just because we've had games going on. But yeah, we're definitely getting some more clarity with the tournament picture and just overall heading into conference tournaments and then the main tournament. I think a ton of buzz around college basketball right now. 
So let's take a look at the current picture and the snapshot of the AP poll. We've got Gonzaga, Baylor, Michigan, Ohio State, and those last two teams are teams that you can definitely talk about, Kara. And Big Ten teams continue to, to really own the polls and then still undefeated in Gonzaga and Baylor. Yeah, there's a huge matchup this past weekend with Michigan and Ohio State facing off. It was actually the third um, AP top five matchup of the season. This one was, I think, pretty exciting because it's kind of that time of year when a lot of fans tune into college basketball. You have the CBS music going and um, just kind of the hype feels like a March Madness game almost. Definitely lived up to the hype. Um, got to watch it yesterday. Michigan came away with the win in Columbus. It was impressive in and of itself. Um, pretty back and forth game, tons of shots made, a lot of interior play. You had Hunter Dickinson from Michigan had 22 points, nine boards. EJ Liddell for Ohio State had 23 points, 10 boards. So very similar stat lines there. A very impressive performance by Ohio State's Dwayne Washington Jr. He had a career high 30 points. Um, but all that said, Michigan did get the win. Um, they got a ton of support from, you know, their whole team really. You had Isaiah Livers with 12, John D. Brown with 15 off the bench, Eli Brooks with 17. Um, the kind of a fun stat, both teams shot 53% from the floor, which is insane. And I remember at one point looking up and Michigan had 10 threes in the first half alone. So for me, it doesn't really change what I think about Ohio State. I still think they have a ton of talent. They're still, they still have the most quad one wins in the country. Still ranked seventh in Ken Palm like you just talked about, still ranked fourth in AP poll. Um, wish we got to see this matchup again, but that was the only one of the season. So maybe we'll see that in the Big Ten tournament. But the regular season, that was as good as it's going to get. If you would have told me coming into this college basketball season that Ohio State was going to have the most quad one victories, I probably would have looked at you a little bit crazy. I don't think I personally expected this great of a, of a stretch for them. But hey, the Buckeyes are coming and they're not going anywhere. In the women's AP poll, we've got UConn, NC State, Texas A&M, Stanford, and South Carolina rounding out the top five. Louisville was ranked number three last week. They got upset by Florida State over the weekend and dropped to number six. Dana Evans only sco scored 13 points. It's her lowest total of the season, just further proving that the Cardinals really need her in order to keep their engine running. Number eight, UCLA also lost to Oregon State, dropping them to number nine. And then another one of note, Indiana sits at number 11. It's their highest ever ranking in school history. And then continuing with the rivalry, but now on the women's side, Michigan, who's number 15, beat Ohio State. Excuse me, Michigan, who's number 12, beat number 15, Ohio State on Sunday. And the same day, the men's team faced off with the same result. We should also mention that number five, South Carolina, beat Kentucky 76 to 55, had four players score in double figures after taking a loss earlier in the week to Tennessee, who was unranked on the road. I do have to also mention that if you hear music in the background, it is because the Santa Cruz Warriors locker room is right by me. Uh, that's Jeremy Lin, Nico Mannion, Jordan Poole, and the likes of them. Uh, they have a game coming up here shortly. And of course, spending my days at the arena means that we get to record our podcast in an, an arena as well. So uh, no shortage of basketball fun here. I think that's perfect. Honestly, what better place to record a basketball-centered <laughs> It only makes sense. Carol, we got to talk about the National Player of the Year race. Uh, for the men's side, it's starting to get a little interesting. 
yeah, I think all year kind of it was assumed Luca Garza would run away with it. And um, he's been super impressive. Um, he was obviously the preseason national player of the year. Still considered a favorite, I think. Um, averaging nearly 25 points, eight and a half rebounds for Iowa. Um, and over the weekend, he actually became the all-time leader, leading scorer in Iowa history. So obviously very impressive. But another name that's been circulating is Ayo Dosumu of Illinois. Um, he's certainly making his case, especially as of late. He's averaging over 21 points, six boards, and five assists for the Illini. He had not one, but two triple doubles last week. Um, I believe the Illini have only had four in school history, and he had two of them last week, which is beyond impressive. Um, Illinois sits at 16 and five, second place in the Big Ten behind Michigan. They've won seven games in a row. Um, so they're trying to catch. Michigan, you know, pick up those wins um, as the Big Ten race kind of comes to an end. I think he's a really fun and explosive player. Um, Illinois is kind of branding him as the best or the most clutch player in college basketball. He had that game against Nebraska where he scored 15 straight points to get them a win in overtime. So a ton to like there. And maybe we should also mention Jared Butler for Baylor. Um, Baylor has been a little bit off the radar because they had all those games postponed, but they're still undefeated. Um, he's still putting up great numbers, 17 points, over five assists, shooting nearly 50% from the field. So we'll kind of see if he becomes, you know, more than just, oh, Lucas for sure going to get it. I think definitely we'll see some a more, more of a push toward the end of the year for some of those other players. And I love that along with the Blue Buds picking up a couple of big wins, uh, you know, there's sort of like a little bit of excitement and action happening towards the end of the season, which I get there always is. But in a year where things have sometimes felt a little stagnant, it especially uh, is good to see a little bit of, of a race happening. And on the women's side, it's especially unique because I think that there are two freshmen uh, that could be up for National Player of the Year. That would be Paige Beckers at UConn. If you've seen her play, she's absolutely electric. If you haven't seen her play, you've probably heard that she is one of a kind. Charlie Collier at Texas, she's a senior, but... I think that she will be the number one draft pick in the WNBA draft. But then the other freshman that I mentioned, Iowa's Caitlin Clark. Uh, she, again, is very exciting to watch. I actually just saw a clip of her doing a nice little, like, behind-the-back pass. Uh, it was one of the top plays in NCAA women's college basketball last week. But let's take a minute to talk about Charlie Collier. We've talked about her many times before. She's averaging 21 points and 12 and a half boards for Texas. She had 44 points earlier in a game this year against North Texas. She's just dominant in the paint. She's a presence. She's a scorer. I think she absolutely could win this. And again, with the upside of being the potential number one pick in the WNBA draft in April, I think it just also leans her way as well. Uh, Beckers and Clark, again, both freshmen. But Beckers has led UConn to an 18-1 and mark. Uh, she has had nine 20-point games and also a streak of three straight 30-point games a couple of weeks ago. Scores at will, absolutely great to watch. And you know what? Being surrounded by so many scouts here in the G League bubble as well, one term that I have not heard before in terms of looking at basketball and analyzing it, and I hear it all the time here, I don't know if it's with the grind mentality and all that, but they said it's the dog mentality. It's the people who like go after every loose ball. They're, they're the guys that are rim runners going all the way up the floor, both ends. Uh, that dog mentality and just like getting after it every possession, that's how I also view Paige Beckers. Um, 
And alongside the National Player of the Year races, we also have some conference races that are tightening up as we hit the Wicks end. We do. And I just want to say, I think it's insane and awesome that Iowa has a men's National Player of the Year candidate and women's. I can't recall off the top of my head when I, the last time that's happened, but I think that's pretty special and it could be pretty special, obviously, for the school um, if they both were able to win. Um, so we'll talk about the Big Ten first. Like we just talked about Michigan, they came off that two-week pause, didn't really skip a beat at all. They beat Wisconsin in Madison after being down 14 at one point. They came at home, beat Rutgers pretty handily, and then had that huge win over Ohio State this past weekend. They're still the favorite. They have the two-game lead over um, Illinois, who they haven't faced yet, but will on Tuesday, March 2nd. So definitely a game everyone's been circling on their calendar. And they also have Iowa left on their schedule that will be on this Thursday. So huge matchup. Um, I was a little bit back now in the Big Ten race. I mean, back behind Illinois, but, you know, still two very talented teams. Um, Ohio State and Iowa, like I said, are after Michigan and Illinois in that conference race. They both have five conference losses each, but tons of talent and definitely some games to catch up. Um, they do only have Michigan once each, so Michigan could – hold on to that conference lead. And Jenny, we'll talk about Baylor in a little bit, but from your perspective, do you think more impressive that the Bears are undefeated or that Michigan's gone 11 and one in the Big Ten this year in a, just a brutal Big Ten season? I think that Michigan is almost more impressive. You already mentioned it. The Big Ten is always absolutely stacked. And to do it in a year like this, again, I got to bring in the G League connection. They didn't have Isaiah Todd who decommitted from Michigan um, you've got second-year head coach, and then you have a group of guys where it's kind of a hodgepodge, um, and you need to figure things out. Obviously, they have really solid players, and they've been able to put the pieces together. But I think the fact that in a league such as that, not that the Big 12 is necessarily weaker, um, but I just think, again, year in and year out, the Big 10 is always going to have very tough competition, tons of parity. I think it's almost more impressive that they're able to, to put up an 11-1 record in a league like that. Let's take a minute to talk about the women's side. Maryland sits at the top of the Big Ten with a 16-2 overall record and a 16-1 conference mark. Indiana and Michigan are right behind them with the two conference losses each. And Maryland only has one ranked opponent in their final four games, not to be confused with the final four games, uh, and that's Northwestern. While Indiana does not have any and Michigan does not have any either after their win over number 15 Ohio State on Sunday. It's a lot of uh, teams' concerns is how many quality wins they can get before the end of the year. And in the Big East, that's another conference race that is led by none other than Villanova, who everyone wants to take down any chance they get. If you're a listener to the podcast, you would know that I almost dyed my hair blue if Marquette would have beaten Villanova. That's how much it means to me. It did not occur. Uh, Marquette is it's faltering a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about that later. Not too much, of course. Uh, but Villanova is 9-2 and two in league play. They're 14-3 and three overall, and that includes an undefeated home record. They hold a two-game lead over Creighton, who got the win uh, over Villanova 86-70 to 70 just two weeks ago. But they still have another matchup left. Got to circle this on your calendar. At Villanova on March 3rd. Villanova also has St. John's left uh, and then a game at Butler and then the Creighton game. And then they finish off the year at Providence. I'm a huge Providence proponent. I think Ed Cooley always does a great job with his programs. 
even if the wins and losses don't necessarily show it, I think he is a top tier head coach. Um, Creighton, on the other hand, again, one of the top teams in the Big East. They finish uh, against DePaul, who's currently at the bottom of the Big East. Then they finish with Xavier, Nova, and again against Butler. And then on the women's side, none other than UConn, Kara. Yeah, I've talked about UConn, of course. They sit at the top of the Big East standings, led by Paige Beckers, um, some, of their, some of their outstanding talent. They're still undefeated in conference play. They're at 15-0 with an 18-1 overall record. And Jenny, we have Marquette in second place. Um, they are actually three games back at 12-3. and Tied with DePaul, who's at 10-3. and They just have a couple more wins. Um, like we said, UConn's obviously been dominant. They're on an eight-game win streak after they had a loss at Arkansas in late July. They finished the year on the road twice, um, but then they have actually a home game with Marquette as their last game of the season. So we're talking about circling games. Jenny, I know that has to be one you have circled. And I love that we knew this was coming, right? Marquette and DePaul women's basketball are always at the top of the conference. Now UConn comes in and just like sneaks right in above the two of them. But I love the way that Marquette plays. I mean, head coach Megan Duffy, hats off uh, to her because she's just done an incredible job with a program that when I was there was so, so strong because they had five 1,000 point scores in their starting lineup. And then they get a brand new head coach when Carolyn Keeger leaves for Penn State uh, over in the Big Ten Conference. But I just I'm always pulling for my Marquette women's basketball. Again, they are a great team and I would love to see them beat UConn in that final game of the season. But, you know, we'll we'll have to see what happens, but that would surely shake things up a bit as well. Let's quickly touch on the ACC and the Big 12 as well. In the ACC, it's normally dominated by the Blue Bloods of the college basketball world. But it's led by Florida State, who poses a 9-2 and ACC record and a 13-3 and overall record. They have four conference games left before the ACC tournament. And the toughest opponent that they have left on their schedule, probably Carolina, and it's at Carolina. A fun note from Florida State, uh, including a now 8-1 and record in the first two calendar months of 2021, they have a 20-4 and overall record in ACC play and in the months of January and February in the last two seasons. Virginia sits a game behind Florida State with three ACC losses, the most recent one coming this past weekend at Duke. Duke was very, very excited about that win as well. I feel like that's all I saw all across my Twitter uh, alongside North Carolina's big victory. But Virginia Tech also has just three conference losses. They've had their last three games postponed and also have four games remaining on their schedule, three of them at home where they are currently undefeated in conference play. On the women's side, uh, to no surprise, we have Louisville and NC State at the top of the ACC standings. Both teams currently have two conference losses, Louisville at 13-2, and NC State at 10-2 and in conference play. Um, three games separate these two from Georgia Tech, who has five conference losses. Louisville wraps up ACC play and actually the regular season with Notre Dame next Sunday, who sits at an even 6-6 six and six in conference play. So we'll see if they can kind of give them a test. And NC State still has Pitt in a game at Syracuse this coming week. So we'll see if those teams are able to, if one of those teams is able to outmatch the other in this conference race. I would love to see Niel Ivey and Notre Dame finish on a high note as well in her first season as head coach. In the Big 12, Baylor remains at the top, clearly at the top, still undefeated, 17-0 overall, 9-0 in conference play. They have their last six games postponed but they now have an insane four game lead over the current second place team in Oklahoma, 
who is nine and four in Big 12 play. West Virginia also has four conference losses and Kansas, who hit a losing streak a few weeks ago, only has five conference losses. Pretty crazy in the middle of the Big 12 with those teams. And then Texas, who hit a bit of a skid. Kara, I know that you were such a big proponent of Texas before as well. Uh, they also have five conference losses. No surprise to see Baylor on top after the dominance that they've shown this season. But are you surprised that they have such a big lead on the conference race? Kind of. Honestly, you have, you know, Oklahoma's in the top 10. West Virginia is sitting at number 10 in this week's AP poll. Kansas back at 17 after they kind of dipped out a little bit for a week, but now they're racking up some wins. And like you said, I was pretty high in Texas. I still think they're very talented. Um, they also were on pause for a little bit, came back, lost by two over the weekend. So it is kind of surprising to see that four-game lead. Normally the Big 12 is, you know, every game kind of counts, especially toward the end. And normally it's Kansas running away with it, if anyone. But um, Baylor's just been obviously extremely talented this year. And I think even when they come back after their pause, they're still going to be the same way. They just have too much talent. And what a time to be a fan of Baylor basketball, because on the women's side, Baylor women's basketball is also at the top of the Big 12. Again, not really a surprise to many if you've been paying attention to Kim Mulkey's program the past couple of years, but they have an impressive 17-2 and record overall, 12-2 and record in conference play, and they currently have a two-game lead over West Virginia. Baylor is on a nine-game win streak after their only conference loss came to Iowa State back over a month ago. And they still have five games remaining on their schedule, including finishing off the year against West Virginia and a game at Texas with Charlie Collier. So we have a ways to go in determining who finishes on top in the Big 12 for women's basketball. West Virginia also has four games left. They look to close in on the conference race as well. And they're going to be on the road for all of them. And to be quite frank with it, you don't want to have to be on the road very often towards the end of the season. So best of luck to them. And they're in their big endeavor ahead. Teams are going to have to get used to being on the road, though, as if you're making the tournament this year, um, for the men's side, they'll be in Indianapolis for a couple of weeks. For the women's side, they'll be in San Antonio for a couple of weeks. So I guess good to get used to that. Um, it's probably a good time we should have another, or our latest edition, I should say, of our final fours. Um, we'll do a men's one first. Um, I'll give my picks. Jenny, I'd love to hear what you have to say. I'm going to take Gonzaga and Baylor. It feels like those are the two obvious choices. Um, they're still both undefeated. They've both been dominant all year when they've been playing. Still a match where I think most people would like to see in the national championship game or somewhere along the way, but preferably in that final game. Um, I think I would still probably pick both of them to go all the way, no matter like where they land in the bracket or who's in their um, side of things. My third team, I'm going to take Illinois. I've always been high on them. I think they're very talented. Um, just love their play with um, Io and Kofi Coburn. They have Trent Frazier, the freshman, Adam Miller, who's a big shot maker, another freshman, um, Corbello, who's it's kind of fun and crafty. So I think they could go far in a tournament setting, especially. Um, they could definitely get hot and cause, um, you know, cause some teams to lose that maybe are the favorites. And then my last team, I'm going to take Alabama. Um, very impressive from beyond the arc. They've been shooting it very well from three. They're another team that could get hot. And even when they aren't shooting amazing, they do have pretty good defense. So that kind of helps them out. Um, I think they could easily win a game or four and find themselves in the final four in Indianapolis. 
Um, kind of want to find a team a little bit off the radar, but they are ranked in the top 10, so didn't really have to go far for that. I love it. And I remember when we had March Madness, uh, Chad Acock on here, and he talked about don't sleep on Alabama. I think that they are a perfect pick to enter into that uh, final four. And while we're talking about final four, let's just talk about the women's side. I actually have one of my close friends from when I worked at the NCAA, Kelsey Mahoney. She just booked her flights and her trip for her 31 day stay in San Antonio, which they are calling the controlled environment. Um, we, we try to get away from that bubble talk, you know, when we're talking about uh, tournaments and, and minors and amateurs. But on the women's side, uh, I think the surefire is UConn. I think it's, it's far and away an easy pick for that. And I would love to see how Paige, Duck, Paige Beckers does in an NCAA tournament setting. Um, because again, in the NCAA tournament is where these big name players become big name players. It's where their names are well known and where they become household names. And so I think UConn is an easy pick um, to see how they could do with the rest of the, their young talent as well. I also want to add in South Carolina. I know that they've been a little bit shaky this year compared to maybe their dominance of years past, but I have so much faith in Dawn Staley again and what she does with that program. I really like the way Aaliyah Boston plays. She's super young, but the, the kind of fiery uh, play that she always has, and she also has some very crazy fiery hair as well. She had some rainbow braids the other day, and I just love to see that as well. I want to see South Carolina make it to the final four as well. And I think that they are more than capable. Louisville with Dana Evans, again, seems like a safe pick. I'm not really going too far outside of the box, but even though they just took their first loss to Florida State, uh, the makeup of this team, they were ranked number one for a while for this season for the first time in school history. And if they can ride that all the way into the tournament, I think that they could make it all the way to a final four, especially with Haley Van Lift. And imagine if we got a matchup between Louisville and UConn as well. That would just be amazing to see the two freshmen, Beckers and Van Lift, uh, who were so highly touted in high school and had so much hype around them then, go up against each other. The last team that I want to mention is Stanford. They are 18-2 and two behind Tara Vanderveer. They've got a huge matchup uh, on Monday night, which is tonight, against Arizona to clinch the Pac-12 regular season title, but they're on a nine-game winning streak as of tonight, and they finished the season with Arizona and then Cal. Fran Belibi is one of my favorite players to watch. If you haven't seen her dunk yet, just Google Fran Belibi dunk. She's done it in a couple games. Um, last year when she was a freshman, I think she had only done it in warmups. And so it's, it's fun to see happen in the women's game. She is someone who hopes that it can become more popular to be, you know, a dunker in the women's game and for more players to, to sort of hop on that trend, no pun intended. Uh, but again, Haley Jones as well, Kiana Williams, among others, they just have a well-rounded squad that I could see not just making it to the final four, but also winning the whole thing. And I would love that for Tara Vanderveer and in the incredible career that she has had. I was going to say Stanford's a good pick just because I want to see Fran Bleeby dunk in the NCAA tournament. Like how much fun would that be? Um, I just think it'd be great, you know, for her, for their team, for the sport as well, just to have that highlight and have that kind of success for Stanford, like you said, for, Tara Vanderveer, I think that'd be an awesome story. Absolutely. We've got a couple games to watch until we can watch March Madness games. So let's talk about the upcoming week. We do. On the men's side, uh, we finally have Baylor back in action on Tuesday night. They're playing Iowa State, who is not at the top of the Big 12, but still probably a good game to tune into, see how Baylor looks coming off of that 
very long pause. We also have Kansas versus Texas um, in another Big 12 battle. We have SEC play on Wednesday night with Alabama and Arkansas. Both of those teams are ranked. That big Big 10 matchup, um, Iowa against Michigan on Thursday night, that'll be a battle of the big men. We'll have Luca Garza versus um, Hunter Dickinson on Michigan's team. Both teams actually shoot the ball really well too. So we'll have um, a lot of talent all over the floor. Texas against Texas Tech on Saturday. Illinois, Wisconsin, Baylor, Kansas, Iowa, Ohio State. So just an absolutely loaded weekend. And Jenny, I had to bring up this matchup because I know it's near and dear to your heart. Carolina, who a couple of times now, or maybe just once, but they have gone out on Twitter looking for an opponent. Um, that's how they got one last week. I don't know they went to Twitter for this one, but they're playing Marquette this week. So I'll have to ask who do you got there? who do you think I have? But first of all, before we even get into it, I know that this is a podcast, so I'm going to walk you through if you can't see. I've got my Carolina blue Jordan 11s on. They're, one, they're some of my favorite shoes, okay? And I do still have love for North Carolina. Actually, when we were down at North Carolina for women's college basketball road trip, Courtney Banghart wanted to try on these Jordan 11s because she didn't have a pair yet. She was brand new. And so I let her try them on. I've got a lot of love for the Tar Heels. But Marquette needs this win more than the Tar Heels need this win. I mean, I know that North Carolina just came off of that giant win over Louisville. And according to Sports Illustrated, it's the worst loss since before World War II, which is insane to think about because World War II, like whenever you have that in a sentence, it's going to sound insane time-wise. And so for me, I mean, like I said, Marquette needs this win. Um, they're going to head down to Chapel Hill and it, it'll be a nice little, you know, Wojo gets to go back to the Carolinas and he gets to, you know, face off against North Carolina as a coach. And it's great for those reasons as well. But I want to see DJ Carton continue his hot streak. Uh, he's kind of been a fun little spark plug for Marquette as well and has been dunking the ball extremely well, especially for his size getting up. It's going to be a really fun game. Uh, especially if Marquette wins. And then I'll just say, yeah, if any, if any Tar Heel fans, any North Carolina fans want to have a friendly wager, I won't be dyeing my hair blue, but my DMs are open. I don't know. What do you say on podcasts? I don't know. I am open for a challenge. To the bubble. What if they sent you the hair dye to the bubble? There you go. Yes. I'll, I'll send my bubble address. Any North Carolina friends. I know Tate Frazier is a, is a North Carolina fan. My friend Kelsey, who I mentioned earlier, Tar Heel fan, and actually my friend Jayanne here, who's a senior producer for the G League. Uh, she also went to UNC Chapel Hill. And so I feel like I'm surrounded by them. We'll probably watch the game together on, on Wednesday night, but I won't be wearing these shoes. That's for sure. Let's get back on track here. We were talking about games to watch, not just a game to watch. But outside of that big Marquette, North Carolina matchup that I will be watching, on the women's side, we've got Kentucky, Georgia on Thursday. That's a top 25 matchup. Indiana versus OSU on Saturday. And then South Carolina, Texas A&M on Sunday. Maryland plays Northwestern on Sunday as well. So it should be another great week in women's college basketball. Before we go, we always do our final four, but our final four this week is going to be our dream cities to go to for a final four. So Kara, I want to hear your cities and I want to hear your why. So let me preface this by saying, I think I did this as like, okay, I get to go watch my team play there. Um, 
you get to take in the full experience of like going as a fan or working with the team and like the weather and what's going on there. So that's kind of like my parameters. Um, so the first one I said, San Diego, I've heard amazing things about San Diego, just in general, weather wise, food wise. Um, I think it'd be amazing to hopefully go spend five, six, seven days there playing basketball or watching basketball. Doesn't really get much better than that. I had Charlotte. Um, I feel like obviously North Carolina is a big basketball state and Charlotte, I think would be perfect size-wise in terms of obviously it's a really nice, um, cool city. I do have friends there, but you know, you could walk to some games or some venues. I think it'd be the perfect kind of host city for, obviously they've hosted before, for perfect kind of host city for a final four. I also put Philly um, again, just when I think of basketball cities, I kind of think of, you know, obviously Villanova and Temple and those schools that are all in that area. It would be a little bit cold there. Uh, there might be some snow on the ground still, but I still think it'd be a really fun historic place to go watch college basketball. And my last one, which this is maybe cheating a little bit because I have been to a Final Four here, but <laughs> I put Indianapolis, the host of this year's Final Four. Um, Indy kind of has the Charlotte vibe just in terms of you can walk to a ton of places. There's food and bars and there's like tons of school spirit and everyone's just kind of, you know, down there just for the final four. Um, it's almost like it's literally made to host the final four. I mean, like, you know, the NCAA tournament, or sorry, NCAA headquarters are there. So I think Indy really just is the perfect place to host. And when you say walkable, Indy is so, so walkable. Like you've got the canal area, you've got like the tunnels, which I know we've talked about on an episode before. Um, so Indy also made my list. And I, like you mentioned, I know it's there this year, but I have never, ever been to a final four. So when I was creating this list, I thought, what cities would I want to go to to see a Final Four in? And this is where my brain went. What are the cities I'm most biased that I like that I would love to see a Final Four come to? Um, not necessarily a Final Four going where wherever. But I know it'll never come to Milwaukee because you need the NFL stadiums to have that sort of infrastructure, to have all the seats and all the capabilities and all the bells and whistles. But one day, I would love to see Milwaukee get a Final Four You've got like Michigan, again, very walkable as well. And I think people kind of sleep on that. Yes, it would be cold. And I know that the Midwest as well as New York are getting hit with blizzards and such right now and tons of snow everywhere. But I would just say that Milwaukee would make for a great host city for a Final Four. They just had it in Minneapolis. That's not too far. And Milwaukee is a basketball city. I will say that until the day that I die. I did an entire report on this when I was in college because they let me pick the topic. And the first women's professional basketball game played on American soil was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Um, that's all I want to say. I, I can I can really go further, but we're just going to leave it at that. Um, Indy, I already mentioned Milwaukee, but then San Antonio. Again, that's where the women's Final Four is this upcoming year. But again, it, I've just heard it's a great city to have a Final Four in. Um, again, super walkable. You've got the Riverwalk, and it just seems like a really cool place and almost like because for my final one, I went big city. It's like a big city, but it's not a destination big city. It's one where it would be great to host a final four because there maybe wouldn't be too many outside distractions. Um, you really get to focus on the basketball and have a really complete experience. My last pick, New York City. I know it's my home right now. Again, I know it'll probably never happen and that we get the Big East tournament there and sure the NIT, which we might have to see some some of our teams be in that, but that's maybe getting too far ahead. 
But I think New York would make for a great city for a Final Four just because I love New York and just because I love the Final Four. And it's my Final Four picks. And so I got to pick the dream cities and I got to mesh them together. I don't need to think about the logistics. So what I say goes, Kara, I guess. I think about New York too, because I've been, the Big Ten tournament was there one year in Madison Square Garden. It was obviously incredible. Um, it's obviously a huge basketball city, but I do consider the walking factor in all of this. Like, it's so nice to be able to like walk around and be outside and in normal years when there's crowds and fans everywhere. I think that's like so much of the hype of a Final Four. So maybe that's why they got excluded on my list, but you might've convinced me in Milwaukee because wrote a whole report on it I have to believe it's a basketball city yes it is absolutely a basketball city again I can I can add more on that but we'll leave it at it has a lot of basketball history um and I would love again to see a final four there especially they just got Pfizer forum a couple what a year or two ago now um the Bucks are doing so well Marquette basketball always a staple so I would just say it's a basketball city to the core and of course what I would consider my hometown and so I love Milwaukee and I would love to see it there but hey, another episode of Full Court with Fisher and Kay is in the books. Thanks to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Kristen Woolley edits the show and we appreciate all that she does for the Pure Hoops family. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows. Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. Each Thursday, Monica McNutt and King McClure drop by with buckets, boards, and blocks. Every Friday, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops each Monday, and we'll be back every Tuesday with Full Court. Please check out all of our shows, subscribe, download them, rate and review them, but most of all, enjoy. See you next week on Full Court with Fisher and Kay. Full Court is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.